John, you ready? Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much again for being here. This Sunday and next Sunday should be the two concluding classes concerning this series. And this morning, what I felt led to do, as I mentioned last week, is to begin to apply what God has done and what we've been speaking about for 17 weeks. Remember in Genesis 1.26, which is the purpose statement of God for all humanity, the reason we are here, our purpose, why we were created, not only why we were created, but why God made the very cosmos itself. He did all of this for one purpose, so that in His people He would be imaged. And so what does Genesis 1.26 say? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we have been created and we have been saved for the specific purpose of the greatest and most grand revelation of all. That who this God is in Himself and how He is in Himself may be made manifest to all creation through us. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about that purpose being worked out in the church. And it's just going to be a very out of overview kind of a thing. You say, well, I would like us to go into more detail. Well, maybe at another time we can, but just felt this is all I felt the Lord wanted us to do today and next week. But really what I'm hoping for and what I think the Lord, what I think the Lord is hoping for rather, not what I'm hoping for is this. That as a result of this series and as a result perhaps more of today to make it more applicable to where we are today as members of the church. As we read the Word of God, especially in the New Testament because it becomes patently clearer in the New Testament, as we read the Word of God and then the injunctions, you know, the commands in the epistles where the Apostle Paul or Peter or John are saying things to the church, do this, live this way, don't do that, flee this, embrace that, that we are going to see all of these injunctions within the light of God's purpose of manifesting Himself through these injunctions. And so as we read them, hopefully what's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to recall to our minds and to enlarge our appreciation and appetite for the commands in the New Testament and continue to enlarge our maturity, expand our spiritual growth in Christ in this church. Amen? So, Father, thank you so much for this. Father, we just ask, as we always do, bless your word. You said you would bless it in Isaiah 55, 11. You promised you would, and so we ask you to do it. Father, what a marvelous God you are. 
what an incredible, incredible revelation you have given to us of yourself. And all of it has come to us and is now ours because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this, Father. We just ask for the work of the Spirit this morning to continue to mature us and to grow us, to give us greater understanding and knowledge. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So by the time we've come to this lesson, this is number 18. <clears throat> and I think, I don't know if we did a couple of lessons that we just didn't add numbers to, but whatever, around that number. By the time we've come to this lesson, what we've learned is that Christ himself has fulfilled God's eternal purpose as given to Adam. And so how did Jesus fulfill God's eternal purpose? By fulfilling or walking in and ministering in the threefold ministry that God gave to him. Remember the threefold ministry prophet, priest, and king. And so, in this threefold ministry, in these three distinct roles, and when I say distinct, when we say distinct, we don't mean distinct from one another, but if you would, three dimensions of the person and work of God himself. So these are roles that are looked at individually, but they're not distinct. And this one is this, and then we have one over here, and then we have another one. But these are three roles that are intertwined to be really the revelation of the one being of God. And so these are dimensions, if you would, of the person of God. It's like the law. Remember, people say there is, and I would agree, there is the moral law, there is the ceremonial law, and there is the civil law of the Old Testament. But they're not distinct. They are dimensions of the way God has presented himself and ministers to his people. And so we would be not wrong, but I think a little stretching to say there are this law, that law, and that law, and therefore today in Christ, these two laws, the ceremonial and the moral, um, ceremonial and civil law have been put away. They're no longer applicable to the church, and it's just the moral law. Well, that's incorrect. That's incorrect. And so we must be careful of how we see the Word of God and how we see, if you would, these things that have one, two, and three pieces and whatever. So Jesus fulfills the three roles of prophet, priest, and king. It was given to Adam. Adam said no when he rejected the word of God in Genesis 3, 6. Remember, and he ate. And in that, he purposely said no to the purpose of God, and sin came into the world. So today, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Remember, Jesus fulfilled all of this, even to the going of the cross. And in these three roles, what is being manifested of God? The most significant and the centrally most fundamental truth about God. What is the most significant and fundamental truth about God that there is? It's who he is in his triune being, that our God is one being in three persons. And so when Jesus is fulfilling and when the church walks in this fulfillment of the accomplished work of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, 
what we're doing is we're manifesting to the world the most audacious and most splendid revelation of who God is. And that is, God is a triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the essence of what God is manifesting to the world through the ministry of Christ, which has now become the ministry of the church. And in that revelation is contained everything we understand and know and receive, and all of the working of God is within the context of his triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we may say, and we wouldn't be correct, the love of God is important. Yes, certainly it is. The goodness of God is important. Well, certainly it is. The eternalness of God is important. Certainly it is. But all of these are the result of God being triune. And so we get down to the very core, the very essence, the very seed of God is that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one being. And so you see, this is to be established and manifested in the church. So therefore, the church is now the visible body of Christ, walking out the walk of Christ with Christ by the Spirit. May I, is that in your notes? May I make sure you see that? The church today, now, as we sit here, for those who are saved, and I would hope everybody in this room is saved, the church is now the visible body of Christ in the world. It is as if Jesus were here visibly as a human being on the earth. And the church is now the visible body of Christ in the world. What? Walking out the walk of Christ with Christ by the Spirit. Remember what 1 John, I have 1 John 2, 5 and 6. By this way we, who? The church the members of Christ. By this way, we may be sure that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in Christ, who lives in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which Christ himself walked. And so as Jesus walked upon the earth, fulfilling the three roles of prophet, priest, and king, simultaneously fulfilling all of them, simultaneously walking in all three roles, simultaneously, but manifesting the distinctness of each role, but simultaneously fulfilling all of them. You see how this becomes a mind-bending thing. And as he does that, he is manifesting the three persons of the Trinity. And that's the way we are to be walking today. That's the essence of our walk in Christ, that we are manifesting as we are fulfilling the walk of Christ by the Spirit, not trying to do better, not trying to whatever, but by the Spirit in our reliance upon the Holy Spirit who now lives in us, listening to him, being uh, sensitive to him, <coughs> excuse me, 
understanding his word as he leads us and trains us and gives us knowledge and understanding in the word as he builds us up in the word of Christ so we are being built up in the Christ of the word. As he builds us up in the word of Christ so we are being built up in the Christ of the word. Make sure we always see the word of Christ or the word of God is for the purpose of building us up in the God of the word or the Christ of the word. Make sure we get both together. Never separate the two. They are one. And so in Romans 15, 5 to 6, Paul prays for their ability to walk this way. He prays for our ability to walk in the same way which Jesus walks. And he says this in Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I just stop there, if I didn't do anything else this morning, what do you see revealed in that verse? That verse should mean more to us this morning, having gone through 17 weeks of this, than it would have made possibly, uh, you know, perhaps before we went through the series. What do we see here? Harmony. Who's Harmony. Shane, whose harmony are we reflecting? The harmony within God among the three persons. Loving one another. What love? We are manifesting as we love one another the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, all of this is, again, a command. It's an injunction. It's an imperative. For what? Walk in a way that fulfills the purpose of God in saving you. So that in this kind of corporate walk, the community of the church upon the earth may be manifesting clearly and compellingly the community of the Godhead in the heavens. That's our gracious gift. That's our gracious, gracious purpose. So this is a Genesis 126 prayer, isn't it? Do you see Genesis 126 in this prayer? How many of you actually do see more of Genesis 126 in this prayer than you used to? Yes, I see it. This is the prayer that fulfills what God has intended in the beginning and all the way through. This is how it is to be fulfilled. This is why God moved from Genesis 3, 6 all the way to the coming of Jesus. This is the purpose of the incarnation. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why Jesus rose from the dead. This is why Jesus gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to birth the church so that we could be co-participants with God in the manifesting of himself. There's no greater calling. For this purpose, God saved us. Why? How? By recreating us. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creatures. Recreating us, putting to dead the old Adamic uh, uh, nature in us. We were constituted and born into the old way, the fallen nature of man, right? Original sin. And when God crucified his son at the cross, oh yes, that's what, second, first, um, that's what Peter says in Acts 2. When God did that at the cross and Jesus died and rose again, we were in Christ. I, 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 am in, I was in Christ. Remember Galatians 5.20. What does it say, Steve? 
I've been crucified with Christ. Sometimes if I don't get it right in the beginning. And so we were there. So when Jesus died, God was putting to death by the forgiveness of our sin, the old person that we used to be in Adam. And when Jesus rose again, he recreated us in the image of the new man, of the new Adam. And now we're being conformed to the image of this new risen man. So we are God's recreation. We are God's new creational community. We have been regenerated. Genesis. We have been what? Regenerated. A new people in Christ. For what purpose? So that in us, individually, collectively, we may be showing forth the reality of who Christ is and what he's done. And what has he done? He's manifested the Father by the Spirit. And so we see all three persons of the Godhead here. How are we to walk out Genesis 1.26? How do we do it? The same way Adam was to fulfill it. There's no difference. By keeping the mandates by walking in these three mandates that God has given Adam as prophet, priest, and king. Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared beforehand that we would fulfill prophet, priest, and king ministries, that we would walk in the three roles that God has given as the means of manifesting his triunity. The three roles are God's means of manifesting his triunity. That's what they are. And so God saved us, having prepared ahead of time before we were saved, that those roles, that work of God, would be kept by us, in us, by the Spirit, through our obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, look, I'm saved you now, Butch. Now start living as a priest. Start living this way. Start living. No. He says, I've saved you. I've set within your heart. I've constituted now you in a new way so that now you have the ability because the Holy Spirit lives in us and he brings all of the triune God into us and all of the ability of God into us and now that ability of the triune God in us is being manifested as the Holy Spirit leads us as we cooperatively walk hand in hand, hand, walk step by step with the Spirit. Amen? That's called obedience. It's obedience. It's joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. If today you don't see the obedience of the Word of God, the obedience of the commands of God as a joy, ask God to do something about your understanding of what this is all about. Because this is the, this is the joyful life. Let me move along, Davidson. <clears throat> Therefore, in order for this to happen, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts 1-8? Wait in Jerusalem to receive what? Power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait, and you will be my witnesses. My witnesses. The purpose of the giving of the Spirit, to be my witnesses. What does that mean? That in our lives Christ may be manifested, my witnesses, so that I have the Holy Spirit. The church now has the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, why was there such a glorious, if you would, racket going on in the upper room? Could I say it that way? Is that all right? Why such the tongues of fire? And the noise and all of this and all of a sudden, what is going on here? It's the same kind of activity that you see in Second Chronicles when the Holy Spirit <clears throat> comes upon the glory of God, the Shekinah of God, comes upon the completed temple after Solomon's prayer and fills the temple where not even the priests could minister. 
It's that presence of God that we see at Sinai in the giving of the covenant to his people. It's that presence of God. He says, now I am here among my people for the first time. I am now not only among my people, but now I am in my people and they are in me. Now my people and I are united in fellowship. Remember that? Second Peter tells us that. We have become partakers of the what? The divine nature. Partakers, koinonia, fellowshipping together. This is what's going on. This is the grand, if you would, earthly conclusion of the work of Jesus. How do I know that God accepted the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin? How do I know that? Because I am saved. Because the Holy Spirit saves us. And that tells us that not only God accepted the the sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of the church, but now I know it personally how, because I've been saved. You see, that's the seal of the Holy Spirit that Paul talked about in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. God accomplished this by conforming us to the image of his son. Remember Romans 8, 29? For you have been, what, predestined to be conformed to the image of of God's Son. Now, when you read that word, the image of God's Son, are your eyes and ears tingling because you hear Genesis 1.26 in that verse? You see, many don't see that, and we understand that. We don't see it until we're taught. I didn't see it for years and years and years. I didn't get this because I'm more brilliant than anybody else. I got it because I was studying and reading and being taught and submitting to the Word just like you are, and God began to teach all right, I, he began to teach me. You're, beginning, you're, you're getting taught too on your own personal devotions, your own sharing of the Word of God among one another, your own reading, your own being in here. We're being taught by the Holy Spirit. And in that process, he is conforming us to the image of Christ. Why? Why the image of Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever fulfilled perfectly and forever the fullness of the roles of the, the, the mandates that God gave in order to manifest the Trinity. This we're being conformed into Christ, into the image of Christ, into the Genesis 1:26 purpose of God is being fulfilled. Now, let's a little bit talk about God's triune nature as the church fulfills this. In 1 Corinthians 1:9, I think 1 Corinthians 1:9 is one of the greatest verses of the Bible. Everybody says, "Well, what is your call?" Well, I'm called to play the piano. Oh, I'm called to sing. Okay. I'm called to, uh, to share this. I'm called to, to minister at the front doors. I'm called to teach. I'm call- Whatever. Okay, great. But is that the essence of our call? You see, all of those activities are activities of the call, but are not the call. The call is not for you to do something in the church. That's not the call of God for our lives. Let's make sure today. So what does 1 Corinthians 1.9 say? For God is faithful who has called us, what? Into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. So what did you call, Mary? To be fellowshipping with Christ through the body of Christ. Amen? 
Now, that may walk, work out in you doing things, and it will work out in you having particular activities of responsibility in the church. Every single person who is called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ is a part of the church. <clears throat> and it is impossible to be called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ and not have a part in the ministry. Are you with me on this? It is impossible to be called into the fellowship of Christ and God not give you a part in the ministry. So Ron Alman has a part. He is called in this church a covenant group leader. That is God's specific per, uh, call, uh, sorry, activity of this man to fulfill his calling into the fellowship of Christ, at least one of the things that he does. Julio is called into the fellowship of Christ, and it is being manifested through uh, being a covenant group leader, or Lester, or Bill Treby. Others are called to be opening doors for people. Others are called to be playing musical instruments. In the fellowship of Christ, there is an activity. Aren't you glad God did not ask me to be playing a musical instrument as a part of my fellowship? But do we see this? I mentioned the other day in a meeting. Put away forever, put away forever your thought of volunteering in the church. Put it away forever. There's no such thing. We are being called and we have been called into the fellowship of God's Son and that fellowship is being worked out and walked out and manifested through our participation with God in various activities of the church. But it is not a volunteer thing where I choose when and where and how, but it, I am walking in the choosing of God when, where, and how. Amen? And for how long? No more volunteer. No more volunteerism in the church. I'll just say it that lightly. I said it in a meeting the other day a little more roughly. <clears throat> Being called into the fellowship of God's Son means that the church is called to share in the very fellowship that is experienced and expressed and enjoyed within God Himself. <clears throat> that means this, the way we fellowship in the church is to be expressive and experiential of the very fellowship that exists within God himself. This is why God saved us. So we would in our fellowship, so that we would in our fellowship as the body of Christ, manifest the fellowshipping relational roles within the Trinity. So maybe I have missed something here, but I will say what I understand this to be. I believe that this is the most basic, if you would, reason why God has saved us. Brought us together in fellowship into Christ, which now joins us into the fellowship of the Trinity. Brought us into fellowship in Christ, so that now we are joined in Christ into the very fellowship of the Trinity because as you know Jesus Christ is part of the fellowshipping Trinity and we are in him now. So we are now part of the fellowshipping Trinity that is being enjoyed in the Godhead. Out of that comes every activity and responsibility that you and I have as believers. That I believe is the most basic thing. You say, well what about this? 
everything I think what we see about God is a result of that fellowship. This means that the fellowship among all, oh, well, I'm a little shy, I don't like to do this and that. You're missing the purpose and the pleasure of God. And you're denying God the manifestation of something about himself when we keep ourselves out of fellowship. This means that, and it's called, by the way, what's the uh, Greek word that you're going to see so often? Koinonia, or as Butch says, kinonia, but we know, we know that Butch doesn't know any Greek. This means that the fellowship among all the members of the church is to bear the image and declare the image of Christ who revealed the shared life of the persons of God. Bill, what's, who's the author of shared life? Is that the one you... Life Together, Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you ever have a, get a, want to read a wonderful book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer read a, wrote a book, very small, Life Together. And Shared Life is Donald McLeod. That's the other one I'm thinking of. But both of them are saying the same thing. Our life together, together. This is to be, you know, when, when we're knitted together, how many of you know anything about knitting? You take strains of cloth, what do you do? And in order to make a tapestry, how do you make a tapestry? Well, what we do, we take all these, let's say 10,000 strains of cloth. In order to make a tapestry, we just throw it on the ground, there it is. There's our tapestry. Wow, what a beauty. You really know some stuff. Oh, I mean, you're a bill. It's incredible. No. If the person who is an expert in knitting buys a piece of twine, what is the purpose of that twine? To be bound together and interlocked and interconnected with all or many other pieces of twine so that at the end of the day, the tapestry may reflect the ability of the twine maker, if you would, the knitter. Is there such a word as a knitter? <laughs> of the knitter. <laughs> And so, look, we're, we're, we're pieces of twine, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different backgrounds, and God is entwining us together so at the end of the day, the great tapestry of the church reveals the face of Christ. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. It's to be accomplished as each member in Christ recognizes his interconnection to every other person. I'm not going to read this long ver, uh, section, but I ask you to read it because I think it's such a marvelous revelation of this truth about interconnection and fellowship. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. And you remember Paul's emphasis is what? We are one body. Or could I put it this way this morning? We are one tapestry of Christ. Amen? One tapestry of Christ. And it is if we're not embracing fellowship to the glory of God, for the purpose of God, it's as if one of the twine, the threads, said, no, I don't want to go in that direction. I want to go in another direction. I just want to hang out over here. And so what you would have is a tapestry with a lot of frayed and, and you know, pulled 
you know, when you pull your cloth, you have these things sticking out. That's what you would have. You would not have the wonderful face of Christ in the way he wants to us to produce it, wants to produce it in us. Amen? We're one tapestry in Christ. So in this way, as members of the body of Christ, we will image the fellowship of the persons of God in their fellowship of diverse roles and unity. Different roles, different abilities, different anointings for the purpose of those roles, different giftings, and yet all together, coming together in such unity and harmony as to declare the unity and harmony within the person of God himself. So why is this critical? Because it is the only way that God has given to the church that we would be displaying the face of Christ to the world. Amen? Now, here we see the image of diverse roles flowing in one fellowship. Now, what about, that's something about the nature of God that we show in our fellowship. Coming together, working as one, walking as one, harmonizing together. That's the nature, something of the nature of God in the church. Well, let's look at something of the character of God in the church. The fellowship of the members of the church is also image the character of this triune fellowship. Why? Because the fellowship that exists within God exists along the lines of one basic character activity. The fellowship that exists among the persons of God exists along the lines of one basic, I didn't say the only. Did you hear what I just said? One what? Basic. Someone may say, well, that's not the only one. I didn't say. Along the basics, basic, basis of one principal character. What is that? Love. Love. In lesson 16, you remember we learned what? 1 John 4, 8, what does it say? God is love. Remember that? God is love tells us that the three persons of the one being of God, that fellowship and work in an atmosphere of mutual love, caring and respecting one another as each accomplishes together the one will of God through their distinctive roles. Did we catch that? But what causes all of this fellowship to function in unity and in harmony is that the three persons of the God love one another. This is the love of God, the love that exists within God among the three persons of the Trinity. This is the love of God. This is what it means when, you know, to love one another as Christ has loved us. How? He loved us in the same way as the Father loves him, as he loves the Father. In the same way, he now loves us, and this is the love into which we have been brought by the Spirit, so that we are being loved by the persons of God with the very same love that they love one another. Now, you, you you can't get to the bottom of that experience. We are being loved individually and corporately with the very same love that the persons of God love one another. I think I have it in your notes, but just in case I didn't, John 17, 26 will be a proof text of that. Therefore, the fellowship of the members of the church must be grounded in and motivated by God's love. 
Remember, this is what Jesus says. What? A new commandment I give to you, that you do what? That you love one another as I have loved you. What's the greatest apologetic or the greatest means of, of uh, winning the loss, of uh, uh, witnessing to Jesus, of saving people, of declaring Christ? Knowing doctrine? Well, knowing doctrine is important. Of knowing God's love. Knowing and experiencing and exuding God's love is the, if you would, magnet that the Holy Spirit draws others into Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By the love that you have for one another. What love? What love? The same love, its activity and experience that God's persons have among themselves. Don't separate the love of God or God's love from his person and the activity of the fellowship of God. Don't do that. That would be incorrect. If you do, you're not talking about God's love. You're talking about something else. It's not of God. You see, this again, this is what Jesus said. He said, just as I have loved you. So again, he loves us. We are loved with the same intensity. Listen to some of these verses in the Old New Testament, Romans 10, uh, 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Why? Because brotherly affection shows the affection of the members of the Trinity for one another. It is an activity that declares or images God. As we love one another this way, as we serve one another this way, as we care for one another this way, as we minister to one another this way, we are declaring the way the persons of the Godhead fellowship and minister and act, uh, 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 work, if you would, in tandem in a complementary roles in fulfilling the one purpose of God. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Why? Because this manifests the love of the persons of God. This is the love that exists within God himself. 1 John 3.11, we should love one another. Then 3.23, this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And so are you beginning to see that when we look at the New Testament and we begin to see these one another commandments, when we begin to see the commandments to love, to honor, to obey, to respect, to be kind, to care, do we begin to see what is this all about? It's not just something that will make your life better. It's something that is declarative of the very person of our God. It is the very reason why Jesus went to the cross so that in saving us, we might also in him, by his spirit, with him, be declaring this great God that he came to declare in fullness. Do you see that? Our salvation was just a step, if you would, to the great purpose of being God's image bearers within a community of image bearing people, the church.
this passage in Colossians 3. But now you must put them all off. Anger, malice, strife, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because the members of the Trinity don't lie. Seeking that you have put off the old self, remember, in its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian. In other words, there's no black folks or green folks or white folks. There's no male or female. As far as our distinctiveness in Christ, we are all one body of Christ and members of Christ equally. And he says in verse 14, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What peace? The peace that Jesus has within himself as a member of the Trinity, the peace that God has within himself among the members of the Trinity, the joy that God experiences within himself among the members of the Trinity. Everything goes back to the very community or fellowshipping community within God. Everything is the result of that, and everything is to manifest that, and there is the glory of God of how these three Equal, distinct, divine, eternal persons relate to one another through distinctive roles of love in unity and harmony for the one purpose of God. Paul again talks about this and urging the church to walk in a manner worthy of the love of God or the gospel of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. He talks about unity, talks about uh, um, humility. He talks about caring and serving one another. And then he gives in verses 4 to 6, he gives the doctrinal reason because there's, and he mentions all three members of the Trinity. There's God, there's one God, one Lord, and one Spirit. Lord being the title for Christ. All three members of the Trinity. So he said, why to do this? Why? Because it's about God's triune nature. And what is the quintessential manifestation of that nature. It is the character of God's love. That's what we are to be imaging. You see, we are commanded to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel of Christ, of the Lord, of God. I've just put several scriptures together. Therefore, let's remember that our walk, our daily activity personally and the way we are together as the church is to image the divine fellowship within God as the three persons of God relate and work in an atmosphere of mutual loving respect to accomplish the one will of God through their distinctive roles in love. We're to love one another, respect one another, care for one another, honor one another, pray for one another, minister to one another, help one another. Amen? Why? All of this images Christ, who is the exact image, Hebrews 1, 3, the exact image image of the invisible God. Amen? This is something of what the church is all about. So the next time you hear something about the love of God or God's love, let's understand it within the context of its deepest reality, the love that is God himself that exists among the three persons of God. That's what we're declaring to the world. And in that, there is the message and the power of the gospel. Amen? See you next week.